0: Let us continue in prayer. Gracious God, we pray that you would use this word to us this day, this word that is not 100% easy to receive, but a word that we need. We pray that you would use it to renew our hearts, to give us confidence as we stand before you, and commitment to live for you in all that we are and all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The first two sections uh, that I'm using for the sermon we already looked at in our call to worship and our call to confession. Uh, now we're looking at the part that follows right after the, what we use for the call to confession in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. I'll be going away this afternoon. I'll be in Pittsburgh through the week. Uh, Bruce Becker will be preaching for us next week and uh, officiating the Sacrament of Communion. I'm going to a um, training event out at uh, Pittsburgh Seminary. Um, It's transitional ministry training, which used to be called interim ministry training. That does not mean that I am seeking to leave you and find an interim position, Uh, but it was recommended to me by the Committee on Ministry or Commission on Ministry that, uh, because we didn't have that kind of season here, maybe it would be good for me to understand a little bit of what might happen through our first year or two together, so that's why I'm going out there. All that to say that I was reading some of my assigned reading this week and I came across a passage that disturbed me And it disturbed me because the person writing the book was disturbed. And she was disturbed because someone was preaching about Philippians chapter 2, where it says that Jesus Christ emptied himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross, and therefore God exalted him to the point that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this person heard a sermon about that in which the uh, preacher equated Christ with a Caesar, with a, a Lord, someone who lords it over people, and she got very upset. But as I read on, I wonder if maybe she was upset too because she doesn't like the idea of judgment, of God judging humanity. We hear a lot about God's love, and that is good and right and true because God loves us. But God is also the judge, the rightful judge of all people, and Scripture carries both messages and carries both messages clearly. Now, you probably have noticed in my first six months here that I am not a lectionary preacher. I I don't preach the the themes that are given to us by the lectionary that many uh, pastors preach, especially in the mainline churches. And I have to say, one of the reasons for that is that the lectionary, those who put it together, chose really nice passages to go along with the church year and uh, bridge passages from the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Gospels, uh, and the Psalms to, to develop a theme, and that's really helpful. But in the lectionary reading that uses this passage from Romans 21, it ends. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. And it does not include but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderous, the sexually immoral, the, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. It does not include that because the lectionary often skips the judgy parts. The lectionary, by doing that, I think gives people a false sense of who God is, a, a lopsided version. And it leans toward God's love, which is not a bad thing. But if we ignore the other parts, what God has revealed to us in scripture, that God is the judge, we will miss out on something very important. And I think what many people miss out on is, that, is the magnitude, the wonder of what Jesus Christ has done for us. If we are not hopeless sinners, if we are not hopelessly tied to, to death, Then, what Jesus Christ did for us doesn't really matter. He was just a good guy, and we try to be good people too. And if we're good enough, God says, okay. But that's not it. The the message of Scripture is you're not a good person. (laughs) You're just staring at me. You should be a little offended. You're not good. But yet you are, and that's the balance in Scripture that's sort of hard to keep, and that's theologians throughout the centuries have struggled with, are people basically good or are people basically bad? And if your basic philosophy of life is that people are basically good, you will treat people in a certain way. But if your philosophy of life is that people are basically bad, you will be suspicious of them, and you will uh, create um, Barriers between yourself and other people to protect yourself because you don't know what they're going to do. The truth of the matter, I believe, from Scripture is that people carry amazing goodness within themselves, for we are created in the image of God. But people also carry within themselves the sinfulness of the fall. So we carry goodness and evil, and people can be really good sometimes, and people can be real jerks sometimes, and sometimes even when we think we're being good, we're not. So I I watch people. I watch people and I read what people say about humanity and people who really believe that everyone is good, deeply good, really struggle with how bad things happen. And people who believe people are basically bad don't give people a chance and they're cynical. But if we bring these two together and understand that people have carry within them the goodness of God even though most vile person we can imagine has within themselves that image of God. But we realize that even the greatest person, the nicest, kindest person carries within them that fallenness. We will understand that we're all a mixture of good stuff and bad stuff, and then we'll be able to encourage the good and discourage the bad and understand why people act the way they do. Well, this passage says that because we have this brokenness, because we have this sinfulness, there is a judgment going to come. And we say, but it's not my fault. I didn't choose to be bad, I just am. Well, that gets into a whole other thing. You see, God's judgment upon humanity is somewhat based on what you've done wrong, on your choices. But on a far bigger level, God's judgment upon humanity is on humanity. It's on the sinfulness of all of us. And none of us are good enough for God's kingdom. And the key to coming to Christ is to acknowledge that I'm hopeless. The key to receiving the gift of forgiveness and salvation is to realize that I need it. So God, in his grace, offers this gift to everyone. God says this gift is available to you. All you have to do is acknowledge that you're not me. You're not God, you're not holy, you're not right. You're always right. And I have a standard of holiness, God says, but I offer that standard to you as a gift. So when the judgment comes, it's not a judgment, I mean, it does say in here based on what they've done, but everyone has done what is wrong. So everyone um, standing before God is judged faulty. But it is only those who have received the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ, the covering of the forgiveness that is ours in Jesus Christ that stand before God confident. And because it's not about me, I can be very confident. Because it's not about you, you can be very confident. Because I know that there are days when I feel like I'm pretty decent and then there are moments where I know that I am not and it's probably the same for you and if it isn't you're probably lying to yourself but the grace of God is a gift And it doesn't depend on how well I'm even believing on a certain day. Because the measure is not the faith, the measure is the God. The measure is not how much I believe, but the measure is the magnitude of the grace. I'm not called to a big faith in God, I'm called to a faith in a big God. And that's what you're called to, too. So, what is Revelation saying when we boil it down? Revelation is saying that there is a kingdom of God and it is coming. The reign of God will bring peace and goodness and safety and joy like none other we know. And then, Revelation 11, it says, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our God. Now, if you know Handel at all, you know these words from the Messiah and how it starts with the kingdom of this world, and then it builds, shall become the kingdom of our God, and he shall reign forever and ever. That is glorious, folks. And yet we try to build our little fiefdoms and we think if I could be in charge, everything would be fine. No, no. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what you need better than you know yourself. Trust in him. Look forward to the arrival of his reign and submit to him, and there you will find peace. I'm tempted to talk about Indiana Jones here. (laughs) And I actually watched this this week, this section. Do you remember in Raiders of the Lost Ark, when they get the ark and they open it up, and they look in, and it's just sand in there, and I they're laughed at, and then all of a sudden, these spirits come out of the ark, and people are, oh, it's gross, their faces melt off. That series liked to have faces melt off, if you remember, um, which was a mistake to show to the youth group that one time I did. Um, (laughs) But the point is, um, th- th- they must have looked at this passage in in Revelation eleven, where it says, "God's temple in heaven was open, and within His temple was seen the ark of His covenant, and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and earthquake and a severe hailstorm." God is powerful, and God's kingdom will come, and His kingdom will come in power, and. That should make us fearful. But not, as we looked at a few months ago, not fearful as cowering in a corner, but fearful as in awe. And if we are not right with God, then we better cower in a corner. But if we are right with God, we can stand in awe of this majestic power and know that it will not harm us because of the love of God in Jesus Christ. This is good news for the downtrodden, the weak, the vulnerable. Who are in Jesus Christ. It is bad news for those who think that they can do it themselves. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. But because God's reign, when it's ushered in, changes things, changes things very substantially, there has to be a sorting out, and that's what the judgment is. Jesus says, behold, I am making all things new. And a word study I did a few years ago, I just love that word for new. Like, you know when you get a new car? I don't, because I've never had one. But you know that new car smell? And and you love that new car smell, and then you realize it's fading over time, and then a few years ago, they they developed those little air fresheners that smell like a new car smell. Uh, No, they do not. And you know, oh, this is an aside, but you know the minivan smell. Have you ever smelled the minivan smell when there are little kids involved and Cheerios on the floor? There's a really special smell that comes uh, in a minivan after a few years. But but what Jesus is saying is he's making everything new. That doesn't mean that you get a new car and that you get a new car the next day and you get a new car the next day. What it means is that there is the quality of newness that is not based in time, but based in quality. So he's making everything new, fresh, in such a way that it will always be new and fresh the new re- the reign of god the new kingdom will be new all the time but in that newness there will be no more pain no more sorrow no more sickness no more greed no more perversion no more anger and in order for that kingdom to be made new, all those things have to be put away. And if you are carrying those things in your hearts and they become part of your identity, how can you carry them into a place where there is none of, the, where there is none of those things? You cannot. So that is why the judgment is necessary. God has to sort it out. And if God sorts it out, there will be those who are ready and those who are not. There will be those who are cleansed in Christ and those who are not. Whether we like to hear it or not, this judgment must occur. And it must occur because he cannot create the glory of a new kingdom if there will be those there who will be undermining it the enemy will be thrown into the lake of fire, which is, according to this passage, the second death. And I think what that means is eternal death, which means no more will the enemy exist to torment us. Peter, and 1 Peter 2.11, says, beware of the sinful desires that wage war against your souls. And we know what those sinful desires can do to us, and we know the days that we win the war, and we know the days when we lose the war. And that constant fight gets wearying, does it not? First Peter 5:8: Be alert and of sober mind your enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That gets wearying. This battle against sin and evil, outside of us and inside of us, it gets very wearying. And one day it will be no more. The enemy loves to accuse, to tell you that you're not worthwhile, that you're not good enough. That there's something wrong with you and that people don't really like you as much as they say they do and that God doesn't really like you as much as God says he does, whatever it might be. And we are all probably susceptible in slightly different ways to those accusatory words. Those words will end. You will know who you are in jesus christ when you stand before god confident at that judgment because you have been cleansed and god's love and value for you will be experienced in its fullness the glory of that day there's a story told of a 95 year old couple As they got on in years, they started watching very carefully what they ate. No fat, no salt, no sugar. And it worked. They lived a long time. But at 95, it caught up to them, and they went to appear in heaven. Were shown their beautiful mansion, beautiful kitchen layout, everything they've always dreamt of. Then they were t- taken to the backyard because, of course, their mansion was on a golf course and the husband was a, an avid golfer and, and saw this beautiful golf course and he said, well, how? first of all, what's the mortgage on that house? He was told it's free, this is heaven. He said, well, what are the greens fee on the golf course? It's free, this is heaven. The next thing they went to was the buffet in the clubhouse, all kinds of rich, wonderful foods filled with all the good stuff, fat, salt, sugar. And he said, oh, that looks wonderful, but where's the, where's the fat-free section? <laughs> and he was told, you don't need to worry about that anymore, because those things will not impact your glorified body. The man got so angry, he pulled off his hat, threw it to the ground and stomped on it, yelling at his wife, saying, if it weren't for your brand muffins, we could have been here 20 years ago. <laughs> All that to say, we hold on so tightly to what we know here the glory the peace the wonder that will be revealed to all those who are in Christ the welcome that we will receive will make us wonder why we held on so long friends God's reign is coming The kingdom of God will be revealed and the new heaven and new earth will be established and all who are in Christ will enjoy the glory of his kingdom but all who are not stand before the judgment of God two things I think of when I hear that number one is live in anticipation of that glory. It will change how you view everything. And number two, be faithful with this message of the gospel that others may enjoy that glory and not fear that judgment. Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for the message of your eternal kingdom. We cannot even begin to understand how glorious it will be. But I pray that you would, within our minds, build the image more and more of how glorious you are and how much you desire to share that glory with us and give us a heart for the lost, that we would faithfully reach out to them and give them the hope that we have. Help us to understand rightly who we are and who you are and who our neighbors are, that we can build fellowship with you and build fellowship with them, that we pray lasts not only through our lives here, but transcends into your glorious kingdom where all will be made right. Lord, I pray that this hope would uh, be the anchor to our souls, the anchor to the souls of those who are struggling, that they would find new hope and new encouragement through your word. And I pray that you would continue to guide us as your church to be faithful with the message of eternal life, to live according to the reign of God as individuals and as a church. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.